0: The Song of Solomon. This is a beautiful little book. Sometimes people mistake it as an allegory, but it is an analogy. The comparison of two true facts. The comparison of the love that Solomon had for a bride and the love that Jesus has for us, his bride. A beautiful comparison, a beautiful analogy. And I want you to Look at a few verses with me from the second chapter today, of Song of Solomon. We find this theme all throughout the Bible, so it's no surprise. There are some people who, who think that this is purely a, a love story. And it is a love story, but it's more than that. Otherwise, it wouldn't be in the Bible. It would not be in God's Word if it were just a love story. But it is a picture, an analogy of Christ's love for his bride. And it is a beautiful picture. In fact, we learn so much about Jesus' love for us when we consider the love between a husband and a wife. That analogy is given throughout Scripture. If you remember the covenant that Israel entered into on the mount, God acting in picture as a husband Israel as the bride. You remember the story of Hosea and how God told Hosea to marry a harlot, Gomer, because that's the way that God's people were. They were unfaithful to Him. So this analogy of marriage is found throughout. It's found in the New Testament, isn't it? And we are told that the church is the bride of Christ. And one day the Lord Jesus is coming to take His bride to be with Him for the rest of eternity. And it culminates in that great event that is often acknowledged as the marriage supper of the Lamb. A marvelous, marvelous event that God's children will one day be a part of. So that's what we're looking at in this beautiful little book. And if you can look at it that way, then uh, you'll get a good grip. Look at chapter 2. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. As the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples. For I am sick of love. His left hand is under my head and his right hand doth embrace me. I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that ye stir not up, nor awake my love till he please. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we gather this evening. We open this thy word, thy book. And ask of thee tonight to speak to us. We tried a moment ago to sing that hymn. And the desire is speak, Master, for thy servants are listening. And I ask of thee, Lord, tonight to speak to us. To each one, help us, we pray. We ask of thee, Lord, in mercy to grant unto us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened tonight. I pray especially for those who have never experienced thy love, who do not know what it is to say, I am my beloved's and he is mine. Help them tonight, this night. Help them this evening to see and to know that Christ Jesus indeed loves them. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. This is the most remarkable little chapter. These verses here. And it starts in a very unusual way. Now, many people look at this first verse, and for many years, uh, many people are divided over who this is speaking of. That's one of the challenges of this book, who is speaking when. We have for decades, we have oftentimes referred to Jesus as the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. And if we were to refer to Christ in the sense that he is the rose of all flowers, the rose being the greatest flower of all and the lily being the most beautiful and rare, then we would say that Christ is extremely precious. But many would say that this is actually the bride speaking. And the bride is saying, I am the rose of Sharon, because the rose of Sharon was a ordinary common flower of the plain. It wasn't the most beautiful flower, as it were, in that part of the world. In our part of the world, we recognize the rose as as quite a significant and beautiful flower, but this is not quite the same rose. And so the bride is speaking. Really, she is saying, I am nobody. I'm nothing special. I'm the rose of Sharon or the lily of the valleys. And the lily of the valley was regarded as a common weed. Like we would a dandelion. That kind of a thing. And so the bride is saying, I, I am, I'm a nobody. I don't deserve God's love. I don't deserve to be brought near to God. I don't deserve Jesus Christ. By the way, the more you and I understand salvation, the more we see that we love him because he first loved us. The more closely we walk with Christ, the more we read His Word, the more we begin to realize, hold on just a moment. This is a work of God's love upon me more so than my love upon Him. In fact, you can almost hear, and if if you have been converted for any length of time, you also know what it is to say, He loves me. God loves me. Maybe you're here tonight and One of the big reasons why you have not yet come to Jesus Christ, one of the reasons you've not yet been converted, is because you cannot possibly fathom that he would love you. Perhaps this evening, one of the biggest things you struggle with is, how could a good God, a holy and perfect God, love a wretch like me? Do you know the saints of old have always struggled with that? And they've always sung about it, haven't they? Written about it. In fact, that's one of the marks you could say. One of the signs of knowing that you're one of His is by the fact that you realize you don't deserve Him. I love what John Newton uh, once wrote in that famous hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that loved a wonderful man like me. No, no, no. That loved a wretch like me. And that is the mind In the heart of one who truly begins to realize how precious Jesus is. Can I ask you tonight, do you know that he loves you? How do we know it? That's a good place to begin. How do we know that Jesus loves us? Well, I would begin with saying, because he said it. I would begin with what he said. I would begin with his word, and, and that's where we begin. And as we open the scriptures and read of God's love and read of the demonstration of God's love, then by the grace of God, we are convinced that yes, he does love me. Without the word of God, we would never believe it. Because anyone who has a true estimation of their self realizes that there's nothing worth loving in us. In the book of Romans chapter 5 Paul writes and he says in verse 6 for when we were yet without strength in due time Christ died for the ungodly did you know that Jesus died for the ungodly and if you don't see yourself as ungodly you are not ready to be saved if you cannot recognize that you are not worthy of salvation you are not worthy of his love then you're not ready to be saved but if inside you are troubled at your unworthiness if in your mind and heart you can't sleep because you realize that you're not worthy and one day you'll stand before him and because of your sin and because of your unworthiness it's going to be a very bad day then you're on the right track at least but he doesn't want you to stay there. No. He goes on and says in verse 7, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. It's hard enough for, you, for somebody that ever laid down their life for a good person. It goes on. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth or he proved, he demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah. The, marvelous, the marvel of the gospel is that Jesus died for you while you were still in your sins. Long before you ever thought of him, long before you ever wanted to come to him, long before you ever wanted salvation, he loved you and died for you. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's not that you and I somehow convince him to love us. Did you know that's never been the way it is? In fact, this analogy sort of gives us more understanding. Uh, it's an analogy of a husband and a wife. Well, things I know are a little bit backward in today's society. Uh, but typically we would all understand that it is the man's responsibility to go after the lady. Especially you could say in this culture, that culture. It was, the fo- it was the man, the husband that would pursue the bride. And so we begin to understand in thinking about our salvation that God was after me long before I was after him. Long before I started looking for him, he was looking for me. Long before I started loving him, he was loving me. That's what makes it so marvelous that he would love me. Christ died for the ungodly. Now, can I ask you this evening, do you see yourself there? Do you recognize you are ungodly? Do you recognize you're unworthy and even unlovely? You know what we do? We spend most of our lives trying to prove to ourselves and prove to others that we're worthy, don't we? We spend most of our lives trying to prove to everybody else that we we are lovable. And so we learn to impress people. We dress to impress. We try to smell good so that when we're in the presence of other people, they might like what they smell we try to dress a certain way so that when we're in the eyes of other people we might appear to be beautiful before them we learn to say certain words so that people might uh, might like us more and we're trying our whole lives to prove to people that we are worthy because we know inside that we're not but can i let you in on a little secret the lord jesus didn't love you because you were worthy So you can stop trying to prove that you're worthy. He loves us because He is worthy. He loves us because of who He is. And if you keep looking at your life to see whether or not you are ready uh, and and prepared and ready to be saved. and uh, If you keep looking at yourself to see whether or not you are worthy to be saved, you will never ever arrive. So stop looking at yourself and be willing to admit like the little bride did here. I'm a nobody, but he loves me. One of the most marvelous truths of the gospel is that he he would set his love upon us. That he would choose us. This doctrine is often one that brings confusion, but it's not meant to bring confusion. It's meant to bring comfort to the heart of the child of God, that God would choose us. It's the same thing that an struck little bride, bride to be would think, oh, that he would choose me. Maybe the other way around, oh, that she would choose me, the, uh, the groom might say, right? But that's sort of a thinking, that's sort of a feeling. I don't know why, I don't know how, Every once in a while, somebody says to me, I don't know how you got her, speaking about my wife, and I often wonder the same thing, but that's the same sentiment that we should feel about the love of God that's been put upon us. I don't know why. It's a marvelous thing. Isaiah 53 and verse number six, the more you think about your life and the more you think about the, the reality of who you are, the more, the more of a wonderful thing it is that God would ever love us. In Isaiah 53, the scriptures say in verse number 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. The first word is all. All of us have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him, that's Jesus, the iniquity of us all. I don't understand it. But he loves me. Every once in a while the devil whispers in my ear, you call yourself a Christian? You think that he loves you? Look at the way you behave. He's a liar, I remind you. He never did love me because of the way I behaved. In fact, when he found me, I was behaving worse than ever. Peter writes about this in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 18. He says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Imagine that. Jesus died for you because you were away from God. You were ungodly. You were unworthy. You were unjust, and he did that so he could bring you to God. It's an amazing thought. And the more I think about it, the more I realize the only thing special about me, or the only thing special about a child of God, is that God loves me. Amen. And so in our text, listen to the way that the groom responds. She says, I'm a rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. I'm a nobody. And he says, as the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. When you begin to see yourself as a nobody and unworthy, you begin to wonder, could he ever love me? I'm so prone to wander. I'm constantly running from him and Constantly tripping and stumbling and falling. Could he ever love me? He responds and he says, oh, you may be a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valley, but you are like a lily amongst the thorns. What that means is he has eyes for you. It's a very personal thing. And the, the closer you walk to the Savior, the more you realize we have a personal God who loves us individually and personally. It's not some general thing. It's a very specific. He loves me. Yeah. Now, I know He loves the whole world. In a sense, we understand that by reading Scriptures. But He loves me. Do you know that? So is my love among the daughters like a lily amongst the thorns. I want you to think for just a moment. Think that you are the only lily in this tent and the rest of us are a pack of thorns. And that's the way he views you. Think about that. And perhaps you're sitting here tonight and you think I'm the, I'm the most unworthy one beneath this tent. I'm the, I'm the most disgraceful one beneath this tent. I'm, I'm not worthy. Uh, he is over there. He plays the piano well. Or, or, or that Patty's got a beautiful voice. Or what about her? No, no, no. I want you to think for just a moment that you're the only rose and the rest are a bunch of thorns and that's the way that he expresses his love towards us. It's amazing. If you've been born again tonight, then you can know with an assurance and a confidence that that's the way he looks at you. With a deep love. As a lily among the thorns. Every believer can say that. Sometimes we, we, because there's some, it appears in in the scriptures, there appears to be sort of a contradiction of ideas that God would choose us. And then yet we would have the responsibility to come unto him. And we sometimes have conflicting views, but it doesn't need to be that way. We can read the scriptures as they're written, as they lay. And we find over and over again, these truths, which are meant not to confuse, but to comfort you, that he has chosen you. Let that comfort your soul not make you in despair let that comfort you peter writes this to a a group of believers who've been scattered these are christians the early christians who've been scattered abroad rejected by their families and lost their jobs and put off of their property and he says in his very first verse second verse of his first letter elect according to the foreknowledge of god the father you're chosen In the second chapter, he says in verse number one, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisy and envies and evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as lively stones are built up a pres- a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to god by jesus christ wherefore also it is contained in the scriptures behold i lay in zion a chief cornerstone elect and precious that's speaking of jesus and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded unto you therefore which believe he is precious But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation. Now look here for a moment. I can rest in the fact that he's chosen me, not because of me, but because of Jesus, Because Christ is the elect one. He is twice, we find it here. He is the one that was chosen of God. And if I am in him, boy, I find my safety and security in Christ. And tonight, if you are trying to look within yourself to see whether or not he loves you, you're looking in the wrong place. You ought to be looking in Christ. You ought to have your eyes upon the bridegroom. The reason so many people will live for years in doubt of of their salvation and in doubt of whether God loves them is because they're looking at themselves rather than looking at Christ. So look to him and there you might rest in that chosen Messiah, the good one, and find that your election is sure in him, not in you. Oh, what a beautiful thought that Jesus loves me. It's found all throughout the scriptures in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And this is one of the most comforting things in all of the scriptures. When you begin to realize he loves me, not because of who I am and what I've done, but because of who he is yeah. and what he's done. As the lily amongst the thorns. Then we come to verse 3. As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons she begins now the bride now begins to speak of her bridegroom he has identified her as being a lily amongst the thorns wouldn't you like to know that God loves you like that and she now begins to speak of the way that he provides for her and when you recognize the way Christ views you it will be easy for you to recognize how he's provided for you now watch this as the apple tree among the trees of the wood meaning of all the trees in the forest if there would be one apple tree amongst them that's the way that my savior is he is one that provides shade he says "You rest beneath his shadow I sat down under his shadow with great delight now look here for a moment as a child of God I can rest beneath the shadow of Christ Jesus' love. With delight. It's not a burden to rest beneath his arms. It's not a burden or a troublesome thing to rest beneath his love. Because he offers protection from the sun. Jesus speaks about the sun as being tribulation and difficulties. Do you know why so many of you are so tired? It's because you've been trying to fight it yourself. Rather than resting beneath the shade of his wings. She says, I will rest Under his shadow with great delight and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He provides refreshment from his own self. An apple tree giving apples. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He feeds us with himself, with his own word. So you find all that you need in him. You don't need him and this and that. I went last night, I mentioned earlier, to visit the Nolan family. was speaking about... Their father, some of the sisters and the son were there and they were saying to me that he wasn't really a religious man at all. But he did have some understanding of God and some understanding of Jesus Christ. And there was a time when his father walked, pardon me, his, uh, his son walked with the Lord and he would say to his father, you need to come to church and get a bit of fellowship. And his father would say, the only fellowship I need is with Jesus himself. Now, uh, there's more than just that, but it begins there, doesn't it? At least he understood that's where it begins. At least he understood that if you have fellowship with everybody else, but you don't have fellowship with him, you're a fraud. It begins with Christ. We do thank God he's given us his family, that iron might sharpen iron, that we might lift one that has fallen down, that we might encourage one another. But there's something very special about knowing communion and fellowship with Christ himself. I don't care what you say when you get in front of me. I don't care what you say when you get in front of the brethren who dress up on a Sunday. If you don't talk with him. If you don't walk with him. It doesn't matter what show you put on when you come beneath the tent. And she spoke of communion with him. Being fed by him. Can I ask you, when's the last time the Lord Jesus fed your soul? And then we find a most unusual verse, which is a beautiful verse, and we'll spend just a couple of moments here before we wrap it up. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Now, if you remember in the first chapter, he brought the bride to her chamber. A, a, a picture of intimacy. A picture of him wanting you to know that he loves you. And now he brings the bride to the banqueting house. As if to say publicly, I'm not ashamed of this normal common nobody. She's my bride. Of course, we can say it signifying of something uh, far greater in the days to come. But also signifying of Christ's love for us right now. Did you know that Jesus is not ashamed of you? I don't understand that. And I don't understand how we could ever be ashamed of him. We find this all through scriptures. The author of Hebrews writes it twice. In the second chapter of Hebrews in verse number 11. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Did you catch that? Jesus is the one who sanctifies, and we are the ones who need to be sanctified. And the scriptures say in that little verse there, that he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother or his sister. Why would you ever be ashamed of him? In the 11th chapter, in verse number 16 of Hebrews, once again, speaking of of, uh, these great men and women of faith, We looked at this passage earlier on in the year. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is a heavenly one, By the way, are you you looking for a heavenly country or are you trying to build up your little kingdom on earth? But they sought a better country, a heavenly country. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Isn't that an amazing thought that he would not be ashamed to be identified with us? It's a humbling thought. And naturally then that goes on to say this, if God is not ashamed of us, Don't you dare be ashamed of him. In fact, there might be something wrong. There is something wrong. If you would be happy to have him to call you his child, his bride, but yet you are not happy to publicly be identified with him. There's something wrong. Something gravely wrong if you be ashamed. Picked up a little book this afternoon in my study a book about some religious refugees in the 17th century in France who were always on the run because they would be constantly confronted with whether they were of the Protestant persuasion or the Catholic persuasion. And they could never tell a lie. And so when the conversation would come They'd have to take up their roots and move on again because they knew that they were not ashamed of the Lord. But should they stay there, stay there any longer, they might lose their head. We find in the book of Romans chapter 10, some beautiful words. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised them from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's a twofold profession and confession. It's a believing within your heart the reality of who Christ is and what Christ hath done. And it's a willingness to publicly confess Him as Lord. In fact, if you're not willing to publicly be identified with Jesus, then chances are it's not in your heart. For the scripture saith, and verse number 11, verse 10, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Are you ashamed? Because if you believe on him, you shall not be ashamed. Do you believe? Paul wrote to Timothy about this very same matter, and he told him in the second letter written to him in the first chapter in verse 8, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Don't you be ashamed of Christ. Jesus gave us the same little exhortation It's found in the book of Mark and in the book of Luke, but in Luke chapter 9 Jesus said in verse 23, if any man will come after me, if any man intends to follow me, we looked at this a few weeks ago, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Meaning you cannot keep your old life and have Jesus at the same time. Whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what? Is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself, literally his own soul, or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed, when he shall come in his own glory and in his father's and of the holy angels. But I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. Are you ashamed? Are you ashamed? I think the more you realize his love for you, the less ashamed you will be. But the more you are trying to make yourself lovable, the more your attention and focus is on you rather than on Christ, then the more likely you are to be ashamed of him. Because look here, in this society... To be identified with Christ makes you detestable in the eyes of the world. So if your goal is to make yourself more lovely, then you will never be unashamed of Jesus. Because you will always be trying to prove that you're lovely to everybody else. And to be identified with Christ is not a lovely thing in this world and in this generation. Do you understand what I mean? So, perhaps you've been putting too much attention on yourself. We are, we are absolutely consumed. Today's generation is consumed with this sunbeds and makeup and designer clothing and fashion statements. And we're so consumed with making ourselves more lovely and more lovable. And if we'd only look to Jesus and realize He loved me just the way I was. And recognize that it's His love that makes me lovely. Rest in Him. Maybe you're here this evening and you know that you're not lovely. You know that you're unworthy. And that's the reason why you have for a long time not come to Christ. Because you don't feel as if you're capable or able or worthy. That's why the Lord Jesus extended the invitation to those who know that they are unworthy. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come. Come who thirst. Why would you ever come to Jesus if your soul is not thirsting? But if there's a hunger and a longing inside, come. Come and meet the one. Who can satisfy every longing of your soul. And you can finally rest from your labors. Stop trying to impress everybody. Stop trying to be acceptable. Start living in him. In Jesus. She said, I'm the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. He said, you're the lily amongst the thorns. He brought me to the banqueting house. A public display. And his banner over me. You know what a banner was? It was a rallying point. It was a point of identification. His banner over me. He put a banner over me. And that banner was love. I love her. That's what he was saying. When he brought... Her into the banqueting house, and he put a banner over top of her. It was just to say, I love her, and that is the beauty of our salvation and of our Savior that He would publicly be willing to be identified with us as rotten sinners and put a banner over top of us, saying, This is my beloved. This banner over me was love. They tell me that the 12 tribes each had a banner. In fact, I read it this week in the book of Numbers. The 12 tribes of Israel each had their own banner for war. And that banner would encourage and inspire in the midst of battle. Exodus 17 speaks of it. Well, the thing that encourages us as a child of God and inspires us in the heat of the battle is that he loves me. So let's march on. Because if the God of the universe, the creator of all things, would love me, then what am I doing sitting down and doing nothing? Yeah. Get up and march on beneath that banner of his love. She says in the last three verses, stay me with flagons, meaning sustain me. Comfort me with apples, for I am sick of love. You ever... Ever been that way? I can remember when my wife and I first started courting. We were, you could say, lovesick. Googly eyes, you could say, for one another. I still love her and more. I still feel that way about her and more. And that's the way we should feel about Jesus. I am sick of love. His left hand under my head reminds me of that Psalm, that third Psalm, and verse number two. Uh, pardon me. In the the third Psalm, Psalm chapter three, Scripture say, "How, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many are they which say of my soul, there is no help for him and God. But Thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of mine head. When everybody else would trample me beneath." Their feet. He lifts my head. His right hand doth embrace me. And that last little verse in verse 7, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that ye stir not up nor awake my love till he please. Now some have imagined that it should say, till she please. It doesn't really matter. The, The principle is this: don't you try to separate me from my love. Don't you try to separate me from my Savior. And you should have a tenacity inside of you that does not want there to be a moment or an hour or a day when you are separated from the presence of God's love. I wonder if you feel that way. Don't try to get me to love anyone else. Don't try to separate me because I am my beloved's and he is mine. Tonight, perhaps you're wondering how he could ever love you. That's the beauty of the gospel, that he set his love upon the ungodly. Upon sinners. And until you're willing to humble yourself. And acknowledge that you are indeed ungodly and a sinner. Then you cannot experience his love. But if you would humble yourself. I think sometimes believers try to feel better about themselves. By criticizing other people. Stop that. Stop that. Recognize he loved you. While you were yet sinner. And rest in that. His love. Let's bow our heads together this evening. He proved his love when he laid down his life for you. How can you doubt it? How can you wonder? He wrote you a love letter that you can hold it in your hands and read it. How could you doubt his love? May the Lord help you to know tonight his love. Father, we thank thee that while we were ungodly sinners unrighteous unlovely jesus died for us i do pray that this evening we might recognize the beauty of thy love help us to recognize all that we need is found in jesus our savior to sustain us to refresh us to protect us help us to realize that he is not ashamed of us so may we never be ashamed of him May the banner of his love over us be the thing that causes us to march forward unashamedly for Jesus Christ. Help us, we pray. May we truly desire that nothing would come between us and our Savior. Nothing and no one. Oh Lord, give us eyes for Christ and Christ alone. May our heart be reserved to love him and him only. We know that if we love him as we ought to, He would direct us to love others the way that we should. I do pray for the one tonight who's struggling with believing that you love them. I pray for the one tonight who just has a hard time believing that Christ could die for them. Oh, help them to see. Open their eyes, Lord. Open their eyes that they might see that Jesus Christ died for them. That he loves them. Help us as thy children to rest in that love. Help us to rest in the finished work of Christ. Help us to recognize the banner that is waving above us. The banner of his love. And may that inspire us to march on for thy honor and thy glory. For We ask it in Jesus Christ's name and for his sake.